0: Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us on Equestrian. I'm Caroline, and I'm here with my co-host, Annie. And today is an episode I'm really excited about. It is the Annie episode. And I know she's really excited, too. (laughs) Yes, nervously excited. So what we wanted to jump into today is an introduction to who Annie is how she came to be where she is in the industry, and what her not journey, because that is a unappealing word to me, uh, but what her life in the horse world has looked like. So stick along with us. So, Annie, I'm so excited about this podcast. I <laughs> think that everyone should take the time to interview their friends. And I didn't realize how much fun that would be until I started working through the logistics of this. <laughs> so please share with me, because I think I know some of it, but I know it through experience, not from your own words. Okay. Um, so I would love to hear how you first got bitten by the horse bug, how you ended up in the horse world,
1: and just kind of where everything started for you? Good question. I think that it was just like most horse crazy girls, just in in your blood. Well, I shouldn't say in your blood, because it's not in my blood. My family is not a horsey family, um, but it was just like part of my my being. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember my mom has told me, mom and dad both told me that since... I was a baby, or you know, able to form sentences and speak and tell them what I wanted and what I didn't want. Um, I asked for a horse, like for the first birthday that I could realistically ask for something. <laughs> and since my family is not a an equestrian focused family, that was out of the question. But I'm also told that as a young kid. I don't know. I must have been like four or five. I would take the family's um, suitcases and draw little horse heads on construction paper and cut them out. And I'm sure I had assistance because I was. I had to have been like five, four or five. But that we would tape the horse heads to the suitcases. And we had the very first home that I grew up in had one of like a circular floor plan, so you could realistically just continue running in circles until you collapsed. And I would ride these suitcases with my sister. I have one sister around the house like a horse. So they'd have like a little head and a little tail, and we would just ride in circles. And so I think, long story short, to that question, it was just part of me. I, I don't know how I was bitten by the bug, but it was just part of me, as I'm sure it was for you. So, when did you first start taking lessons? I was six. And I think uh, my parents were really, uh, my mom's a phys ed teacher. So my parents were really diligent about getting us involved in basically every physical activity or sport that we possibly could have been interested in. We took like art lessons, um, ballet, tap, Jazz. gymnastics, yeah, it was softball, the trifecta. <laughs> soccer. I mean, we we tra- they they just kind of pushed us in, in like every different direction and um, kind of were like waiting around to see what really piqued our interest. And so... Um, And not to mention, I'd been like pestering them, I'm sure, at this point for years. So I was six when my sister and I first started taking riding lessons. And it was at a barn not far from our house. So it was easy and convenient for my family to get me there. And I started taking lessons once a week. But yeah, I was six.
0: So I'm really excited about this part. (laughs) Share about your first horse and how that was navigating with your parents and share about him a little bit and how that was really such a launching point for um, kind of what came next in your horse career.
1: Good question. So at this point, I'm now 16 and I've been taking riding. We're his, friends at this we're point. We're friends at this point. FYI. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've been taking riding lessons since I was six. I'm 16 now.
0: What kind of riding lessons did you take?
1: Um, I started off in kind of like one of those generic um, hunt seat. Stop, go left, and, right, don't fall off yeah, and Yeah, we were in hunt seat saddles, so it must have been. Or, I mean, probably some of them were all-purpose, but there was some jumping involved, and it was pretty much a, a backyard. It's
0: um, so like your average like English lesson. Yeah, barn.
1: exactly. Yeah. Um, but I had never taken a Western lesson. Like I, I was specifically brought up in the English world, um, so I'm 16 at this point, and I'm friends with Caroline. And I get my first job. I've got a car, so I'm like, okay. And I've been asking my parents for a horse for the past decade or more. Um, and so at this point, I can I have a job of my own, and I'm making a little bit of money so and I'm actually I started working at a dressage farm not from, far from our house um and so I have enough money to in my mind realistically purchase a horse and begin caring for horses so here's where Caroline comes in she worked for a ranch in our f- community and I guess I must have heard about it through you like they were like, oh, with all these ranch horses. Oh yeah, because they did the, the off season free leases. Yeah, so yeah. they like basically needed to have someone take care of their horses for the for the winter months. We leased him and we boarded him for the first year, but his name was Sea Biscuit. Yes, and he was like he was the so perfect cool. first. I can't say that he was really mine, but the perfect first like horse that I boarded and was responsible for and did all kinds of stuff too um but yeah Sea Biscuit, and he was like
0: I have this like visceral memory of being like Annie today I'm gonna learn to jump three feet by the end of the day <laughs> and like I had not had an English background at this at this point at any point in time and God bless Annie and Seabiscuit like literally in that that particular day in this tiny little indoor arena I was like "Don't doggone it we're gonna do it and, it was, and that horse was just like a saint.
1: Yeah, it was an arena small enough that you really couldn't realistically set up. A it was board. like a round pen. Yeah, <laughs> like you could set up one jump, and you could point him at one jump, and you better hope, hope he's going over it. But that sweet little creature it wasn't little, but I can't, I cannot believe what a like perfect first and everybody horse needs that a was. horse
0: like that like yeah. you didn't have to worry about messing anything up you could learn stuff you could have a good time he was like somewhat capable of like you know still kind of like pseudo doing a lot of things he was just such a cool yeah. cool horse he was like a big i don't know like awkward like warm bloody type Morgan-y. but like yeah. the uh, in like the
1: non sexy way but sturdy, um, I mean, was just a he was never- <laughs> He was so low-maintenance. I had no idea what I was doing. My parents had no idea what I was doing. Like, it could have it could have gone so bad, and it went so right. He was just perfect. Yeah.
0: He was a cool dude. Yeah. He was cool for sure. So, the heir of Seabiscuit, um, and he went back to the ranch after the lease window was over. And then, I believe, that's when you got B, correct?
1: Well, I actually had him another summer, and that's when I brought him to my parents' house.
0: Okay, gotcha. So, point, I share a there. little bit about moving horses slash horse to your house.
1: Yes. So, my parents live on a five-acre wooded lot. Not ideal for horses. It's kind of on the top of a hill, so it's very rocky. No pasture. It's, it's totally wooded. And if so, then I would like I would be raking leaves to try and encourage grass to grow. But it's so rocky that grass isn't really growing. Um, so not ideal for horses at all. But my parents had a basically like a woodshed. And I had a boyfriend in high school at the time that my parents paid to come over and help my dad. Build a lean-to shed off of the the woodshed and so it started off as a just a lean-to, and it was enough shelter for one horse to come in and get out of the rain. And then um, we bought two big spools of like chicken wire. Mm-hmm. I distinctly remember my dad coming home from like Lowe's or Home Depot or something, and they were just sitting in the bed of the truck, and he was like, "All right, I bought them. You got to get them up." And I'm like, I've got to be like, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm got to be like a hundred pounds, maybe at this point. And so I was like, okay. Um, and, and like my dad owned his own construction business at that point, so we, there were like plenty of tools in the vicinity. So I just started. I was like, okay. I grabbed a sickle and I walked out what I thought would be a, a fairly decent pasture line, and I had to chop all the weeds down, and then. I would – I rolled the – each one of the spools of wire out of the pickup truck, and then I set out a path where I was going to roll them down the hill and around the perimeter of what I wanted to be my paddock. You can't even call it a paddock. I don't know what you call it. Like a wooded wooded area. (laughs) Horse (laughs) Um, residence. Horse residence. And then I went through, and because I didn't have the means or the ability to drill fence posts into, like, the rocky ground – I stapled them to trees because there was they were so plentiful. So I stapled my fence line to the trees of like... That's nature's fence post. Exactly. So it was probably like a two and a half, maybe... It was probably like a two to two and a half um, acre space that I fenced with the chicken wire. And then we, uh, we figured out that that probably wouldn't be reasonable or safe for horses. So then I went through the top and I put a little bit of hot wire around the top of it. Um, But that took months. And I remember distinctly like throughout my whole childhood, my dad has always said, what do you want and how do you get it? And um, it was a big task for a 16 year old to pull off, creating this essentially farm for horses in her parents' backyard. But as he would see me like go out there and problem solve and literally whacking down weeds with my sickle, he would come out and he would help me. And then if he saw me slow down and get tired, you know, he would kind of drift back into the the background and like he was sure to not help me if I wasn't helping myself. But if he saw that I was working hard, he'd come out and support me because I can't imagine what my parents must have been thinking.
0: (laughs) This girl has lost her mind. Yeah. But I think that also speaks to like the determination of a like for all intents and purposes a child um like you see so many people today making things so easy for their kids and like at the end of the day like your child will show you what they're capable of doing if you provide them with the opportunity to encounter it through adversity Absolutely. like you don't have to provide everything, like give them an opportunity and let them show you what they can do. And the empowerment that comes from that is so much more long standing than like, oh, I just got this.
1: I wholeheartedly agree because even to this day, my attitude is what do I want and how am I going to, how am I going to get it? Like it's not like, oh, right., I wish someone would give me this or I, w- I need this. Can someone help me with this? It's like, all right. Here's the need I have or the desire that I have, and I need to make it happen. Sometimes you have to like we well, like were to just will will talking about goals. Yeah.
0: Like, you know, you, okay, so you have a big goal. You divide it into little goals. You break down those little goals, how you're gonna accomplish them. and then you have a plan. Yeah. Like then it's not some sort of like mysterious thing. Like you figure it out how to do it like it was important to you to have horses at your house and you had help you had an opportunity but you made it happen and i feel like that was so pivotal in um like how things would transpire through the rest of your horse life yeah, um, absolutely so you got your fence and everything um you had this like makeshift horse facility at your parents house mm-hmm. and you leased Sea biscuit for another year mm-hmm. and then you moved on to the girls
1: Yes, we bought a horse for $750, or I bought a horse for $750. Her name was Impressive B-Girl. She was a first-level dressage horse. And immediately when I brought her home, she did a suspensory. <laughs> Most likely because the rocky footing was a difficult thing for horses to live in. Um, but she then needed to be, like, penned up, and so we created two stalls out of the lean-to. And I think that's when Seabiscuit came, because... It was a challenge to keep a horse on stall rest with no company.
0: And, By yourself. Yeah. So then Sea Biscuit went back to the ranch. So you're working at the dressage barn and you are working for this super cool elderly gentleman who does equine dental work and started racehorses for the track, which I think is a super cool thing that you did for a little while.
1: Yes. Working with him was awesome. I learned so much from him. And uh, we would—I I don't know how many horses he would start a year, but it was a lot. And I would work like three days a week. I'd drive close to an hour to get to his facility every day after after work. Or, I mean after school. And we worked for three or so hours, um just getting on like these little—I guess they must have been yearlings at that point. um Little yeah, like
0: long yearlings. You pack them in the stalls, yeah. and and
1: then he had a big gallop bath back in his hay field and we would just once they got going well enough in the round pen and we felt safe enough on them we'd take them out and we'd hack them out in the the hay track kind of area and then we'd start galloping them getting them fit enough and ready to go to the racetrack
0: which is super cool yeah um so at that point in time you also got the thoroughbred mare correct
1: yes but i didn't have her for very long she was kind of just to keep my other horse company, company once Biscuit left tragically when i went away to college um My parents really put their foot down and they were like, you can't, we're not going to have two horses here while you go away to college. You can't take them with you. This is a serious thing. So I found great homes for both of them. They actually, I found one home where they both could go together so they could stay together.
0: Which is amazing.
1: Yeah. And so then I went off to um, Delaware Valley University and I studied equine studies. My parents were like, isn't there something else you want to study? (laughs) That's not a real
0: degree. Go to school for real. (laughs) But at that point was also, um, I know you showed IHSA, but you also were kind of, at this point, kind of dialing in more specifically on what you wanted to do in the horse world, correct?
1: Yes. had been working at that dressage barn growing up, and then I worked as a working student at an eventing farm, and that's where I you know, I was like, hmm, dressage, pretty cool. And then when I went away to school, we did more instruction in dressage. So I initially started off on the IHSA team. And then halfway through my college experience, I switched to the IDA team. And that's where I was like, yeah, this is for sure for you, for me. Yep.
0: Um, so you did three and a half years at Del Valle and then you did a semester abroad, correct?
1: Yes. I studied at Hartbury which is in Gloucester, England, and they actually have a really amazing... I
0: remember this. I'm so excited you talked about this. Yeah, they have (laughs) a
1: a really amazing equestrian facility that's set up to host really phenomenal events, and they get some... Big names and big horses that come there every year. They have, they also have a phenomenal um, rehab facility, so they have they have a lot to offer. That was a really great experience.
0: And they have the artificial horse that you can ride. It's like connected to the computer program. Correct.
1: Yes. Yeah. That was pretty. cool. I always thought that
0: was the coolest thing. It's yeah. been on my like one time in my life. I want to ride a fake horse that gives me a computer readout of what my body is doing.
1: And that was back in like what 2011.
0: I don't know. So like, can yeah. you imagine? Ago?
1: Yeah, can you imagine what they're like now? I mean, they've got to be yeah, that's
0: pretty amazing. Yeah. So you graduated from Del Val in equine studies, and you didn't have uh, your own horse at this point in time. So you came back from Del Val, and I was this around the point in time when and you'll have to forgive me. I'm not 100 clear on the timeline where I introduced you to Doug, or were you already working at this point in time?
1: I feel like you must have introduced me to Doug when you went down to Virginia.
0: Oh. Um, so you met Doug, who was this lovely gentleman that I had started some horses for in Pennsylvania. Um, who bred Hanoverians. So I was moving, and I needed somebody really trusted. And by really trusted, I meant probably would have done far more of a service than I would for his yeah. Hanoverians. Um, so you started riding for Doug. Um, and that is where you met
1: my horse, Lily, or Conflora. I don't remember exactly how old she was when I first met her. Um, but I think you would have started her, right?
0: I started her, um, she had gotten backed as a three-year-old, but then she had two babies. So I restarted her. I think that she would have been five or six mm-hmm. and then i think i wrote her for like a year so maybe like six to seven is when you got her give or take
1: something somewhere, like that. it's somewhere in like, that wheelhouse I, I bought her when she was seven so must have been okay so there. then her
0: six-year-old year
1: yeah
0: was when right. okay so at this point in time you graduate from college. You have an idea of kind of what you want your equestrian future to look like, and you get an opportunity to go to work for an upper-level warm-blood breeding and training facility in the United
1: States. Yes, so that was a great experience and a bad experience, um, all <laughs> rolled into That one. was a great experience. <laughs> Pregnant pause. Um, it was very challenging. It was a it was a difficult first job for anyone but I learned a lot from it I think
0: which I think is an important takeaway like you can go through hellacious experiences and your takeaway at the end of those things with the right perspective is man I am so thankful for what I learned from that I probably wouldn't have learned it under any other context
1: yes and I had such a bad taste in my mouth that I ended up going from being like a a young horse trainer and showing horses for this big breeding facility
0: and you did have a cool experience there. You did get to do like the winters in Florida. Yeah. Nice part of the year in Pennsylvania. Yeah, and you did I, get to mm-hmm. do that sort of travel, which was, I think, pretty
1: cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was, it was super fun. It was super fun living in Florida. I loved the whole, um, Florida's in the winter and up North for the summer. Which is
0: also where you got Roxanne. Very yes. important.
1: So I, that job got me a lot of great things. It wasn't a great experience, um, in a lot of ways, but I came away with a lot from it. Um, I got my dog in Florida. I, it gave me the means to buy my horse, which I would never have purchased, um, if I didn't have a lot of the perks and uh, benefits from that job. And I still have that horse. So I'm super grateful for that, but it, it left a really bad taste in my mouth for quite a while. And I ended up, um, think like I went into the job thinking I wanted to be a professional rider and I left the job thinking like maybe I want to be an accountant maybe I want to work at Walmart yeah I was like (laughs) anything but this and it it took like a lot of people like yourself and my parents to kind of be like look Annie you have put so much into this horse career that you can't abandon it now and luckily they were right. I just needed a month to like bounce back and but I it it totally it totally altered my career tra- trajectory because I went from riding to um working as a a barn and facility manager and I'm very grateful that I did because for 5 years I worked in the collegiate IHSA kind of world And I learned a tremendous amount there. I met some wonderful people that were so very different from the previous terrible job experience. I went into an incredibly supportive, loving, encouraging um, work environment. I got to learn a lot from a management perspective. Basically, learned how to run a barn and care for a, a variety of different lamenesses, emergencies. I just got a ton of great experience Um, Which I think is really
0: important from a professional riding perspective, because I think today, especially, we have so many upper level riders that are groomed to be solely riders from such a young age that they miss out on that. And I honestly believe that it is absolutely one of the most important parts of being a good quality horse person is understanding not just like how to adjust your saddle or like put on a bridle, but like to know what goes into managing a barn on a large scale and making a facility work and making the decisions that you have to make at two o'clock in the morning under duress. And it's just an often glossed over, um, but incredibly important part of, you know, being well-rounded and having a comprehensive career.
1: I totally agree. And I sometimes I look back on it and I'm like, oh, that's 5 years that I lost that I could have been putting into my riding career and I feel like I'd be 5 years ahead of the game by now and I'd be doing this and this level and I wouldn't be where I am now. But I honestly I don't think I would change anything. And I think that, Cause they
0: kind of brought you back to life yeah. in the industry too. And uh, I learned to so much degree. for
1: it. I have a much better eye for lameness. I have a much better appreciation for um what it really takes to keep the horses going. And um I feel like I'm much more comfortable in emergency scenarios.
0: Um, and you learn how to interact with a huge variety of very diverse people. Yeah. Um right off the get-go, that I think is really important um for client relations and facility relations down the road is because mm-hmm. as much as this is a horse industry, it's a people industry. It is. And as you know, in an ideal world, you would ride a horse all day and be great at it. But you have to deal with, you know, representatives and, you know, barn managers and clients. And so I think working for a school like that gives you a crash course in like, navigating everything from like the budget committee to, you know, a disgruntled student or her parents.
1: Absolutely. And I sometimes forget, I got, I got a, I, I worked for and earned a free master's degree there. So Got Which a, is incredible. Yeah. I, sometimes I forget about that, but I got a master's in education and I, I think that it'll it'll actually be really valuable for my teaching and instruction career. So,
0: Absolutely. At this point in time, you also ended up with Nora, who yes. I think the
1: story of how
0: you ended up with her is really cool. I'd love for you to share just um, kind of what that entailed. and um, how you came to be her mother.
1: Oh, my gosh. So this was another example of, like, what do you want and how do you get it? Um, My So I got a raise working in this collegiate environment, and I suddenly found myself, like, every irresponsible horse owner. I was like... I have extra money which was something that I had like literally never had before and I was like how what should I do with this Ooh, and I had been working as a working student for um, another dressage trainer as I was working in this collegiate environment um, just to kind of keep riding on the side and he happened to also breed and he owned a stallion so he had all these like Gorgeous offspring kind of coming through his barn, and he would sell some of them off, and we would start and work with some of them. And so I was having a blast, and I found myself with like a little extra money. <laughs> I remember that distinctly the day I was, I think I was like out there dragging the rings, and I was like, I could have another horse. I have enough money that I could have another horse. And so I made the mistake of saying it out loud in front to this guy. So, like, several months went by, and he had. Um, I'm sure never forgotten that because I, I think he ultimately wanted me to end up with one of the offspring of his stallion. Um, he just genuinely thought it would be a good match and wanted to share with me. Um, and so this opportunity came up where there was a foal that that had bilateral hock OCDs and would need surgery for sure. And so because of that, she was going to be offered to him at a, an extremely discounted rate. Because her mother was aging and an amazing broodmare for their program, they realized that they they didn't want to continue um, investing into her. They wanted to kind of find her a nice retirement home. Um, so they were offering the pair of them, and for a really discounted rate, which was perfect to my broke ears. Because I was like, "All right, I can,
0: I can do, I can do, this. Can do
1: this. So I agreed." Like, so I agreed to buy this horse, sight unseen, through his recommendation only. He had literally, like, this is so crazy, thinking back to it. He didn't even send me photos. I I never saw her. I, like, I envisioned her in my mind. He told me it was a great idea. I trusted him completely. I was like, all right, okay, I'll buy her.
0: Let's do this. Let's do
1: this. And then he was like, you're going to have to take the mare. And I was like, oh, I don't really know that I need the mare right now. I, I don't need, because at this at this point, I had another horse. So I was like, I don't really need three horses. I don't know that I can support that. Um, he's like, well, if you want the foal, you're going to have to take the mare. I was like, okay, I'll do it. But remember that the, the foal is going to need surgery. And we're going to need to, as soon as we get her, um, evaluate her and decide when that time might be. So um, just be prepared for that. And so I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I'm going to buy this new horse. And all of a sudden, she's going to need surgery. So I'm working five days a week for the college barn, the collegiate equestrian program, and um, I'm like, okay, so I definitely need to start saving up more money, because the money that I thought was going to be enough isn't going to be enough to support two more horses, because now I'm buying two, and one of them needs surgery, so I got a part-time job, um, working like a dog, and making just enough money so that every week I could put away like a hundred dollars um for this surgery so i had a couple months and i saved up enough money and like sh- we brought her home like not long after christmas so technically my husband bought her for me for christmas bought the two of them for christmas um Aww. So oftentimes i'm like you but he was your boyfriend nice- at the time he was my boyfriend he- at the time. yeah yeah so right off the bat he was the keeper um so that was how I came to have Nora. And so she got the surgery
0: and um so I remember I remember she got the surgery and then she was just like growing into this like big, sassy, very opinionated, beautifully baby-faced thing who had like Mm -hmm. very strong opinions about like the world and her place in it. And we would have to like tag team her for her injections because she was so sick of being bothered Mm -hmm. that, um, and you did such a, and I honestly think that like your management of her surgery, her rehab and her like, uh, like growing up life was so amazing. Um, that you really gave her like the best possible opportunity to grow into the mare that she is today through all of this. So like the dynamic between you and Mike changed a little bit and it becomes on the table to uh, move to California. So yeah. kind of like talk about, cause that's like a pretty dramatic leap. Like you have a really nice career at the college. You yes. have your horses um, you have like your current horse and your like future horse, and I don't want to say like necessarily comfortable, but you're at a good you're at a good dynamic. And then I all of a very... sudden, like, yeah, you know, all of a sudden, like, hey, uh, I'm I'm uh, gonna do this. We're gonna have to move to California. I'm I'm going to California. Um, yeah. So here here we go. Kind of talk about like what that was like for you, like deciding to take both horses with you. And then shipping them to California. And then like what life um, for you and them has been like in California?
1: He was my boyfriend at the time. And he found out that he was going to be placed permanently in the Bay Area. And I was in this like this job that I had kind of created to be what I really wanted it. I was working. I have like I had an amazing boss that I respected tremendously, who was very compassionate and very understanding and a great boss. And we were kind of like sculpting a new position that I could kind of grow into in the in the program. And I was so tickled to be moving in that direction. I was finishing my master's after kind of like a lot of growing pains and turmoil. We decided, OK, my life's keeping me here. Your life's taking you there. We're going to just ride it out and see. Um, And we ended up doing like the whole like long distance thing for about two years. I finished my master's and I was saving up as much money as I could to bring both the horses out. And he was living in the Bay Area, which is crazy expensive. We're each having to pay rent at at a different apartment. Um, So it's like hard to save money. But we did it. And eventually around Christmas time, it was literally Christmas. (laughs) I drove out. I drove out here to California. My plan was to drive out first, and then have my horses come meet me, so that I could be meeting here, them here on this end.
0: And during the time prior to this, you're also trying to like hop back and forth between Maryland and California, and find a suitable place for the girls, uh, yeah. for Lily and Nora, at this point in time, that meets all of your needs and provides a, uh, a growth oriented environment for you to continue advancing your career as a dressage professional um but also is like within the means of a normal person um to be able to manage
1: i came into the barn where i currently am um, but at this point in my mind i was still going to try and attempt to find like a quote real job and um like something similar to where i i had kind of made a a little happy place for myself in the collegiate world. So I reached out to a couple of collegiate programs in this area. Um, But it was just a different environment. And there wasn't necessarily going to be something that was commutable to where we were going to now be living. So I remember thinking like, oh man, like I got to find something. What am I going to do? And I remember one day I said to Mike, like, well, how would you feel if I like started investing in myself as a rider? And he was like, oh, Okay, um, I mean, we'd have to like look at the finances and see if we can make that work, but he was totally understanding and open to it. And as long as we could find a way to make it work, he was down. I moved here without a job, but with a barn. I brought my horses to a specific barn, and I was working with a specific trainer that I had that I felt really lucky to have found um, because I felt like she. A lot of her values and her horsemanship was really in line with um, mine, and I, I really respected. So, brought my horses out, started riding and training with her, and then this, like, random opportunity opened up to be her working student, and so... Um, of course, I jumped on it because when I first moved out there, she had a working student. I was like, oh, I would just die to be her working student. This is what I want. And so I just kind of like worked for another, a couple other people and did some odds and ends around the barn because I mainly just wanted to be around my horses. And then this opportunity opened up and I like jumped on it. And I was like, yes, I want to be your working student. And she approached me one day and was like, you know, you remind me a lot of myself at your age. And uh, I want to propose something to you. Um, if you're interested and she said I would be willing to be your mentor in in this dressage world and if you're interested in becoming a trainer and putting in the work if you're willing I would be willing to take you on as a mentor and kind of you know guide you through this um, challenging process of becoming a dress dressage professional and so of course I was like so excited (laughs) I could barely pay my bills um, but I'm so excited. And so that's 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 where I um, that's where I still am. And currently I'm working is for my my mentor.
0: So currently you are married. You live in the Bay Area. You have an awesome opportunity with your mentor. Um, you have Lily and Nora that are both in varying phases of their career and their progression Um, Which I think we can touch on, um, like, specifically Nora and her process uh, in a later podcast. I think that that is deserving of its own um, kind of... Bubble and uh, so that kind of like catches us up on your life. So, I had a couple just little, I guess, talking points that I wanted to touch on. So, the start of 2020 uh, was a pretty um, interesting change for you as far as your perspective of yourself and your place in the equine community. And I want you to talk a little bit about why and um, what the future holds for you as far as APD is concerned.
1: I feel like the way that this is going to come about is that I am chronically not so confident person. I don't know how to say it. So I did a lot of things at the end of 2019.
0: Which I think is interesting to articulate because you have... The uh, mindset and the drive and the hunger and the work experience to build into a spectacular professional, and you have the mentality of a student, and that we should all be a student of our craft and continue to grow and advance and learn. And there are people out there who do not have that mentality that still do very well in this industry. So I think when you encounter a professional who has the mindset that you have, I don't want to say they're necessarily more trustworthy, but it's so much more valued and has so much more um, intent and meaning behind it because you have placed the industry that you are a part of and achieving professionalism in that industry at such a high standard and on such a pedestal that you're constantly striving to be the best you can to achieve it.
1: Yes. And I'm constantly feeling like I'm never good enough. Which is something that I have to kind of fight with myself every day.
0: Which is much better than feeling like you're better than everyone else all the time, no matter what.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are probably, like, pros and cons to each. Of course. Um, but to, like, your original question, at the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020, I made a big attempt to push myself out of my comfort zone, and I've made a Woo. lot of improvements. Woo! And made a lot of improvements. I was just, t- we were just talking about, before we recorded this, we were just talking about how, like, I think this show season is going to be my most mindful show season that I've ever had. And I have so many more, um, like, tools this season than I did last season. And I think I'm just making, like, a way more of a conscious effort just because I've been really pushing in a lot of different directions, I think, this year.
0: You've been really, I think, striving to grow and get out of your comfort zone. And I think that that's so important. Um, That comfort is kind of the enemy of growth. And if you're always making yourself a little uncomfortable, um, then you're guaranteed to always be growing and always be learning and always to, you know, to be striving to improve, um, which I think is really impressive.
1: Yeah, because you're also never satisfied. Exactly. Exactly hashtag never satisfied hashtag which you kind of have to work to um find little victories for yourself and find little ways to pat yourself on the back because you are never satisfied and you're always um struggling with confidence
0: so i think that's kind of an exciting um thing that we can touch on a little bit in the future especially when we discuss the girls um if you had to describe yourself as a horsewoman or as an equestrian uh in three words um, what would they be?
1: I think number one would be relentless.
0: I would 100% agree with that.
1: I think one of the biggest things that I think is really important in dressage is um, valuing your horse as a partner and making sure that mm-hmm. you don't lose kind of the spark of their, of the harmony and their um, like joy in work. So I don't know that mm-hmm. that's quite a great word. I'm sure there's a better word for it.
0: I think that it counts
1: a third word. I have one. Okay. Let's hear it. Mindful. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. So I think that
0: for me personally, having had the opportunity to kind of like firsthand um, experience a lot of these things with you um, along the way, um, I know that I always put you on a pedestal. I'm like, man. Annie is like the she is more highly evolved than me. I don't She think is so, <laughs> so <laughs> intentional and thoughtful and kind and just like truly dedicated to being excellent in the sport. Like whatever you decisions that you have to make, um, regardless of how um, difficult they may be, you're ready and willing to do the work to make them. You know, and i I think that you just have such a special gift in your demeanor and in your consideration of others and in your quest to always contribute. I think there's a lot of takers in the world and in the community, and I think that you are such a giver and are such like a presence of like mindfulness and peace and uh, just um, generosity with your spirit. Uh, that it's really tremendously admirable
1: oh i thank you that's not what i was thinking when i when you said mindful but uh, that's so kind
0: um so what is the best advice that you have ever been given or could give to others in relation to the equine community or just in life in
1: general (laughs) this is funny uh okay well number one the first thing that my mentor ever said to me she was like i'm gonna give you a lot of advice number one sunscreen (laughs) she was like Mm. this horse world amen insert the
0: meme (laughs) of the girl (laughs) from orange is the new black with her hands above the air and i'm like the skincare like i'm the aggressive lady with the hat and the sunglasses and the spf and there are so many horse ladies that i'm just like do you have your sunscreen on like you think being on the beach is bad? Yeah. Try standing you only go to the beach a couple days out of the year. You're in a riding arena every day. Put on some sunscreen. Yes. And a hat and some sunglasses. Wear long sleeves. Amen. Get some nice SPF coverage there. Yes, I literally Amen. wear
1: hundred every day. And I wear sun shirts and Amen. sun hats and ball caps, sunglasses. The California sun is
0: harsh. Cause you know what's you know what's a lot more expensive than SPF? Okay. Well, A, skin cancer, but B, skin Botox. Cancer. That
1: is worst case, but it's real.
0: You can go to Walmart and you can get a bottle of SPF for like $6. Absolutely. But, you know, everything else, way more difficult, way more expensive, and... Compound totally. effect. You SPF yourself every day when everybody else is 40 looking like they're 60, you're going to be 40 looking like exactly. you're 24.
1: So that's number one best advice that I've been given. Num- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Amen. Exactly. Amen. Number two has to be for my dad. What do you want and how do you get it? So if you can establish what you want and then break down how you get it. And so far, I everything that I've been able to establish, like what do you want, like I may not have achieved it but I you can be sure that I'm breaking down how to get it yeah
0: but you have a trajectory
1: yep so those are the two biggest pieces of advice it
0: makes my soul happy that you said SPF
1: oh my gosh she was like I'm gonna give you a lot of advice about this whole horse world but number one protect your skin
0: (laughs) amen amen um I would like everyone to envision in their head that meme that everybody has seen of the girl like, yeah, with her hands up in the air. I'm making that motion right now.
1: It's so um, true. Because that is the gospel truth. Because self-care for equestrians is like the last thing that you think of. You do so no, much for your it's horse like, you never consider yourself. But this whole podcast is going to change that. So, SPF. exactly. And self-care doesn't mean...
0: Well, I, you know, I went to the spa for three hours today and it was great. It means being mindful and attentive of the things that you need to do to take care of yourself. And you can have no money and be working 16 or 18 hours a day and still find a way to integrate self care into your lifestyle. It doesn't have to be expensive, it doesn't have to be prohibitive, but it has everything to do with mindset. And you will be, so, I think, kind of speaking as two people who have been burned out, chewed up, spit out and through the ringer of this industry that like at that point in time, had somebody come and tapped me on the shoulder and been like, excuse me, have you heard of self-care? It would have changed some things.
1: (laughs) Some things. (laughs)
0: But, (laughs) But uh, some
1: things,
0: things. but that's for a different day. Um, So is there anything else that you would like to share today?
1: I don't think so. I think I'm going to save it all for episode number four. Two,
0: Annie two
1: Caroline's interview. Dun dun dun. <laughs>
0: all right, well, guys, I really appreciate everybody uh, tuning in with us today, and I hope that you learned a little bit more um, about Annie and what make her, what makes her tick, and what makes her such a special and unique soul and person and presence to have on this podcast and why I am so gracious and thankful that she is both my friend and, um, my, uh, kind of like my inspiration and my bouncing off of partner and my fellow podcaster. And, um, so I hope that you guys all can come to, um, really value and appreciate her as well. You can keep up with Annie, Um, on Instagram at Annie Phillips with two L's dressage and you can keep up with her and her horses she shares such spectacular content Um, so again that's Annie Phillips dressage and then if you'd like to keep up with us shoot us a DM um, keep up with a little bit more of the information that we'll share in detail uh, beyond the scope of a podcast you can keep up with us on Instagram at equestrian. And that's E-Q-U-E-S-T-R-I, this is where it gets crazy, E-N-N-E underscore podcast on Instagram. And you can also email us at podcast at outlook.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening along with us today.
1: And tune in for our next episode because Caroline is going to be in the hot seat and I guess will return fire to her. So you won't want to miss that.
0: I have low-key anxiety already.
1: <laughs> well, don't worry. <laughs> it's going to be great.
0: <laughs> so, yay and stuff.
1: We'll catch you guys on the flippity-flip. Adios.